Yo, what's good everyone? It's Anushan and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how y'all, us we here, and welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. Joining me today are Eric, yes sir, and AC. What's up guys? Alright, so guys, while I was away, you recorded, in my opinion, one of my favorite episodes of this show, where you guys are talking about NBA beefs, and you mentioned that you're doing a part two, so I knew I had to be on it. So Eric... Last week, you guys mentioned beefs like LeBron and Pierce and Tony Parker and Brent Barry. Tell me you got something good for us this week. I feel like in addition to last week, I want to start off with something light. So I think most beefs are either over debts and women. So just to continue the theme, I want to talk about Derek Fisher versus Matt Barnes. Oh. One of my all-time Favorite NBA beefs. You have two guys. One, Derek Fisher, who fairly illustrious career as far as winning. Matt Barnes, a a respected journeyman. Two guys who almost had like a a big brother, younger brother relationship off the court. And all of this like somehow devolved into Matt Barnes beating the hell out of Derek Fisher because Derek Fisher was having a relationship with his estranged wife. So, guys, what do you think about the beef? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but isn't this the story in which Matt Barnes literally chases Derek Fisher through a house and he claims on, of all places, Wild and Out, that he beat the shit out of Derek Fisher? So, what's funny about that story, when he was telling the story, he was asked, did you literally beat the shit out of Derek Fisher? Like, literally? <laughs> he never he never explicitly, like, said no. So, I'm under the logic that he beat Derek Fisher so bad that he crapped himself. But either way, it's really funny because this story encapsulates Derek Fisher perfectly because we all know that he was the president of the NBA Players Association. And he just had a history of doing sneaky, like, underhanded, like, backstabbing things. So, I I mean, I wasn't really surprised, but it's such a wild story. Like, Matt Barnes gets this call from his kids. His kids say, hey, Uncle Derek is over here and he's kissing on mom. Matt Barnes gets in the whip, rides over to the house that he pays for. Derek Fisher is up there canoodling with his wife. And then fisticuffs are thrown. Only in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's ridiculous to think that at the time, Derek Fisher was the head coach of the Knicks. Is, so, it, is it that ridiculous? Also, is it that ridiculous that my <laughs> Knicks have yet another absurd story tied to them? I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable because these are guys who used to be teammates and all of a sudden Derek Fisher is now dating the guy's ex-wife and spending time with Matt Barnes' kids. I mean, who is this lady? Is she like Mother Mary that these guys literally need to brawl over her? I mean, she was one of the stars of Basketball Wives. That's about the only thing I know her from. So, Oh, God. Funny fact. 
She's the sister of Gilbert Arenas's wife who was having an affair with Shaq. <laughs> so basically this is like a like a family business of theirs. Yeah, they're like um they're like the Kardashians, but you just don't know their names. So real quick, on Basketball Wives, did it star both Matt Barnes and Derek Fisher or just one of them? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was back in the day when she was just with Matt Barnes, but it's pretty funny. Yeah, but apparently Matt Barnes this year said that him and Derek Fisher are cool after their feud six years ago, which, I mean, hey, good for them. Way, way to patch things up, but man, that, that's got to be really freaking awkward. I can't, I can't imagine being friends with a guy who physically beat the shit out of me. Man, that's, that's fucking wild, man. I mean, he kind of has no choice. Like, Derek Fisher is now married to her. Man. So, from a beef where the people apparently forgave each other, to a guy in Isaiah Thomas, not the young Isaiah Thomas, but the classic Isaiah Thomas, the original, the bad boy. A guy who seems to never forgive anyone in his many beefs he's had over his career. Why don't we start, guys, by talking about Isaiah and Adrian Dantley. So, Eric claimed earlier in this pod that all beefs come about because of women or gambling debts. Well, he forgot a third common cause of NBA beefs, which is playing time or people fighting for that star role on a team. Because in the 80s Pistons, there was a bit of a struggle between Adrian Dantley, who was a guy who had led the league in scoring before, and Isaiah Thomas, who everyone on the Pistons knew, everyone in the city of Detroit knew, was the best player on that roster. And things came to a head after their many very unfortunate losses in which you know, their famous loss against Boston on the steal by Bird and the next year after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hits the game-winning free throws after a very questionable call knocking out the Pistons. The Pistons come back and there's this growing tension in the team and Adrian Danley doesn't want to be subbed out for, for Dennis Rodman at times. He thinks that Isaiah is trying to get him traded off the team. To this day, he believes that Isaiah got him traded off the team, which their GM denies. But ultimately, Adrian Dantley ends up yelling at their coach very publicly and it's this huge thing and it, it kind of sunk that team's chemistry. But finally, they get rid of him and they trade him for Mark Aguirre, who Adrian Dantley says, hey, that's a Chicago guy. That's Isaiah Thomas's boy. It must have been Isaiah who was behind this all. So what really happened there, Eric? What do you think? So funny story about Adrian Dantley. So Adrian Dantley is from D.C. He went to DeMatha High School, which is like a famous prep school for like athletes. All elite athletes in this area pretty much go to DeMatha. Adrian Dantley, to this day, if you go to any events where he's at and you ask him about this, and I know because I've actually witnessed this firsthand, he will immediately claim that Isaiah orchestrated this. And I mean, circumstantially, it's not a terrible argument to it, make, right? It, it is he, because go he ahead, gets AC. rid of him for a Chicago guy. And Isaiah is a proud Chicago resident. He grew up in Chicago and Mark Aguirre and him were pretty tight. Yeah, they're childhood friends. So yeah, I mean, it, it has Isaiah's fingerprints all over it. It's a plausible story. And I tend to be of the opinion that Isaiah definitely behind the scenes was trying to get him like off the team, which makes sense though when you think about it because when he left the team, they won two championships because Mark Aguirre was a better fit as far as being a secondary member to Isaiah and Dantley, who's a fellow Hall of Famer as well, it, it just seemed as if there was some type of conflict there that was never going to be solved with them both playing with each other. But 
I feel like that relationship or how it's viewed between Isaiah and Dantley crystallized how we today perceive or set the foundation of how we perceive Isaiah to almost be a bit of a, a, a me first, like stab you in the back type guy. When you think about Isaiah Thomas, when you hear him in interviews and things like that, he seems very soft-spoken and respectful and very personable. But a lot of NBA stories would suggest otherwise. And Dantley was painted as some type of disruptor in the locker room for the team. But actually, that's not true because Joe Dumars even called him the best teammate he's ever played with. And John Sally referred to him as a mentor and later publicly acknowledged that not only was Dantley not disruptive for the team, but was actually a vital part of the team. And Today, while Dantley did make the Hall of Fame in 2008, he works part-time as a crossing guard in Maryland. In contrast, Isaiah Thomas, after this Dantley trade, ended up winning two finals, winning finals MVP in one of them, is considered one of the greatest point guards of all time, and gets coaching job after coaching job. He's even run the New York Knicks at a time. Yeah, run him into the ground, you mean? Yeah. Probably the the lowest point in our franchise history. Yeah, and 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 you know he's on all sorts of NBA shows, and it, it's it's crazy to think that this was like the inflection point for these two guys' career trajectories. I do want to also add that it's funny that the first two beefs we've discussed have some type of Knicks relation. So it really tells you a lot about that franchise as a whole, how it's been run in the past thirty plus years. I don't even have any response to that. <laughs> just the, you, how do you argue with the truth? I, right? was, I, mean, I was just about to say, AC, you going to take that slander? I, I, I mean, yes. <laughs> what, what, like, I don't have any response. <laughs> but guys, as any NBA fan would know, especially after watching The Last Dance last year, Dantley's not the only person that Isaiah's had beef with in the past. What can you tell me about his beef with... Let, let's start with Magic, and we'll get to Jordan after that. The relationship with Magic is fascinating because it's almost like a drama or some type of epic where there are like storybook highs and lows and you it seems the two of them went through a lot of emotions with each other these are guys who were really close when they came into the nba i mean so close whenever they would play each other they will literally kiss each other on the cheek which i mean that <laughs> late later on that will come back in some way in a, in a negative light, but they were close friends. They, they competed against each other in the NBA finals, but still friends. And then for whatever reason, when Magic had his HIV diagnosis and he went public with it, Isaiah went before media and implied that it could have been Magic was gay. And it's interesting to even think about that because Naturally, people brought up the kissing on the cheek and how collegial they were with each other and friendly. And it was just, it was a problem, man. Like <laughs> Isaiah just took it somewhere. And I, I understand the backdrop 30 years ago of how HIV was looked at, but it, it was just lower than low. But it seems now they've made up, uh, they had a very emotional detente where they got together and you know, they said how they each hurt each other and, and Isaiah apologized for what he said and, and they cried it out. So they seem on the up and up. Their relationship just has have had a lot of almost like 
movie highs and lows. To clarify there, Eric, that reunion they had was after decades of not even publicly acknowledging each other, much less communicating in any way, shape or form, because the fallout from Isaiah Thomas's comments were just that painful for magic, because you have to remember the context back then, HIV was considered a terminal diagnosis, and it was heavily associated with the LGBT community. And magic, by all accounts, was a straight man. So for to have someone who he considered one of his best friends in the league to publicly accuse him, and maybe Isaiah did that to sort of take the stigma off himself because of the way that, you know, he was perceived at times with his relationship with magic, as Eric alluded to. But still, to do that and throw him under the bus like that, and to do so publicly, I mean, it's a bridge too far. And it's actually incredible that they even made up at all. Although, you know, that was a really beautiful thing to watch if you if you were a fan of the NBA and you had watched the trajectory of these guys' careers. But I know recently, Jackie McMullen, you know, the famous Boston reporter who is, is very close with Magic Johnson, basically said on a podcast that even though that was a very public thawing, that ever since then, the tension between the two of them continues to remain. So, you know, they had that moment, but it may not have actually had any real lasting impact apart from the TV spectacle of it all. Yeah, the optics there were certainly really nice. And it, it seemed at the time very genuine. But after having seen the Bad Boy Pistons documentary, which, by the way, guys, if you haven't seen that, that might be one of the best basketball documentaries out there. But in that documentary, one thing it really shows that I didn't know previously was just like how close Isaiah and Magic were. They, they, they were kind of like brothers. And it's sad to see how, I mean, I, I don't know what was going through Isaiah's head. I don't know if, if that's just his personality to kind of just say things like underhanded. Maybe he's being careless and, and didn't really think it through. But I mean, it's just... It's really sad to see like the full arc of their story. And and yeah, they, they might have made it up. And, you know, I mean, if there's still tension there now after what is this, like 40 years? I mean, it's just it's just sad to see like a lot of these beefs that we talk about in these episodes. They're kind of funny. But in this case, I, I find it like genuinely sad because you just see these two guys who are so close to just break up over some just offhanded comments. And it's just never been the same ever since. I think with Isaiah, it's important to remember, like we, we spoke about how he almost has like this, as far as his looks, he looks young. He looks almost as if he couldn't harm a fly, but Isaiah, if anything he is, he's ruthless and he's petty as hell. So most of his conflicts with other players, those two characteristics are just intertwined. He's doing things that are underhanded and he's not cutting any cards, not taking any exceptions. He does not care about hurting people's feelings. So that's just Isaiah. 100% Eric. And that attitude bit a, a bit in the butt because it, I think it's a huge reason why he was ultimately left off the dream team. And to tell that story, we have to talk about his antagonistic relationship with in my opinion, the greatest player of all time in Michael Jordan, but also with Scottie Pippen. So this is born out of their actual battles against each other. The Pistons held down the Bulls for years, and Jordan failed against them repeatedly. 
even when Pippen came aboard, they still lost in the famous migraine game that Scottie Pippen had where, I mean, to be frank, he might have had a concussion with the way he was getting hit. Uh, he wasn't ready for it. And then Jordan eventually bulked up and got better and learned how to trust his teammates more. And they overcame that hurdle. And then ultimately they overcame the Pistons, which led to one of the most famous moments in NBA history which is Isaiah Thomas walk and, and the Pistons walking off the court without shaking the Bulls' hands. And a lot of people think that's the origin point of this rivalry, but it actually started way before then at an all-star game in which Michael Jordan was in an elevator with Isaiah Thomas and Isaiah didn't even acknowledge him. He didn't even look at him or, or in any way, shape or form, look at him as a fellow all-star, a guy who you know was making in the league, which is just different the way that other all-stars had treated their fellow players. And the other thing you have to remember with the Jordan and Isaiah angle here is Isaiah's from Chicago. He was Chicago's favorite son. And then all of a sudden, the biggest star in all of sports comes to Chicago and his own family, as in Isaiah's own family, is rooting for Michael Jordan when they're facing the Pistons. So you can't ever discount that aspect of this rivalry as well. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I never got the sense of when watching the Bad Boys Pistons documentary in particular was I never got the sense that Isaiah really was the driving force behind the Jordan rules. It always seemed like it was more of like the Lambeers of the team, the guys who actually were doing the physical beating on people. Isaiah was the face of the team. And when you put into context, like how Jordan basically replaced him as the darling of Chicago, it would make sense that the leader of the team would be like, all right, let's beat on this guy. But it just shows like another layer of like Isaiah pettiness. Now, I want to be clear. I... I am a big fan of Isaiah, and I think that a lot of these like late 80s, early 90s players, their pettiness with Isaiah and since that time has like really dragged his name and, and his legacy in the mud. But, but at the same time, like, come on, man. A lot of these things are really avoidable. There's definitely blame on both sides, but it was so avoidable. Guys, <laughs> and I can't let this pass. Everything you all said was absolutely correct. But I just need to get on AC for a second. He had the hot takes of hot takes. He said that he thinks Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. <laughs> As if all of us doesn't think that. <laughs> I, you know, that, that. That was a little throw in to, to uh, get under the gears of you LeBron dudes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Michael Jordan was able to get him back, guys. We all know that. So for all of the pettiness... <laughs> that Isaiah had towards him, Michael, maybe or maybe not keeping him off the 1992 dream team, he still has nightmares about that. It will forever be with Isaiah. So Isaiah might have won the petty battles, but Michael Jordan won the petty war. The funny thing about that, Eric, is according to the report, it wasn't just Jordan who was opposed to playing for the dream team if Isaiah was there. It was also Scottie Pippen, which led to one of my favorite moments on the open court show of all time, in which this report is read to Isaiah Thomas, and he goes and lies out on the couch as if he's having therapy. And he's just like, you know, if Michael Jordan does this, all right, well, that's fine. But Scottie Pippen, though? <laughs> like, Scottie Pippen? Who cares about Scottie Pippen? <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> it's just like... 
did he turn every guy who wasn't on his team and even some guys on his team, did he just turn everyone against them? How horrible can your personality be that just universally, even though you're one of the greatest players ever, and up until Chris Paul kind of having or being in the, the discussion with him, I think universally we looked at Isaiah as the greatest small point guard ever. Am I saying something controversial, guys? Well, hundred percent. There's that's not even arguable in my For opinion. For sure. I, I think he's historically underrated as a player. You, you talked about making enemies, Eric. It wasn't just Pippen and Jordan who were opposed to having him on this team. Magic Johnson, by all reports, was another guy who didn't want Isaiah there. And nobody else in the league liked him either. Whether that was Barkley or Ewing, guys got beat up by the bad boy Pistons. And as else we alluded to, Isaiah got the blame. And, and sometimes it's because he was kind of behind it. He was the guy who was telling Lambeer and those guys to do these things. And sometimes he would do the little dirty play. So he was just really disliked around the league for a number of reasons. And it, it kept him off a, a team that he absolutely deserved to be on. I mean, are you telling me that Isaiah Thomas didn't deserve that last spot over, say, Christian Leitner? Or even someone who is a Hall of Famer like Chris Mullen? Like, I think you could easily remove him and have Isaiah on there. One of the greatest players of all time. And see, we're not even going to add that on that team, you had Larry Bird, who Isaiah and his guys say oh, yeah. wouldn't oh, have yeah. been a great <laughs> player if, if he were black. And then you had Carl Malone on that team who elbowed him purposely and gave him like 50 stitches in his head. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like no one on that team liked the guy. No one. Yeah, Eric, you, you could have just named this whole segment Isaiah versus the entire 80s superstars, right? <laughs> it's all universally disliked this guy. Yeah, it's like, you know, they say the, the movie was Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Isaiah right, exactly. versus the NBA. <laughs> now, yeah. we mentioned Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And Jordan, of course, famously beefed with all kinds of players. On the court, he would talk trash. You know, he routinely killed guys like Jerry Stackhouse, who, who had something to say to the media before playing him and then he would you know drop 50 on him we could have an entire segment just on jordan beefs so a, a lot of jordan beefs in my opinion are, are things that he kind of created in his own mind to motivate himself in the moment but there's one beef that even if you watch the last dance that's so obvious and that's their hatred collectively in jordan and pippen of jerry Krause, the general manager who put together that team who has since passed away and yet who jordan and pippen relentlessly and continuously trash at every opportunity they can. They hate that man. They hate that man. And it's it's really strange. In the annals of sports team history, I don't think any dynastic team and their marquee players hates a GM or person who built the team as much as Scotty and Mike hate Jerry Krause. And Jerry Krause, he didn't help himself. He was cantankerous as hell. He didn't do some of the things that modern GMs do to assuage the feelings of their superstars as far as running trades to the players before they make the trade and, you know, getting some type of input, whether that's, you know, him trading Charles Oakley, who is to this day Michael Jordan's consigliere and his ace boom coom. I mean, he's basically his bodyguard, right? <laughs> he's his Luca Brasi. He, he is. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> he is his Luca Brasi. Perfect example. Or 
later on going and drafting Tony Kukoc out of, was, was that Yugoslavia or Croatia? One of those countries in yeah. Eastern Europe. It was but, Yugoslavia, then it became Croatia. Got it. By the way, remind me, we're going to talk about that soon. We're going to do a little bit of a Yugoslavia fallout one. Ooh, I you guys. But uh, it's just like he went out of his way, it seemed, to not build a relationship with Michael Jordan in particular, where there was just this level of animus that I, I don't think any parallel exists in sports history. What, what's fascinating about Jerry Krause is that he's was actually a very good general manager. He put together a team that was kind of ahead of its time. He put shooters around perimeter players who could slash. He's the guy who drafted Scottie Pippen, which was not an obvious pick at all. This is a guy who really didn't come into the NBA with any kind of reputation of becoming a future star. He got Rodman. He got Rodman. His first hire was Tex Winter. Absolutely. And Tex Winter wound up implementing the now infamous triangle offense and, and you know the rest is sort of history there. So he did a lot of things well, but he just wanted more credit than a general manager usually wants to get. I think he had a little bit of a small man syndrome situation. And by the way, he was a very small man. You know, he was a bit on the overweight side, but he was very short and <laughs> And I think that because he I was about to ask you when you say a small man, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I meant, I meant short and small width, <laughs> yeah, uh, height wise, small. He had this small man syndrome about him that he just wanted credit for things. And, and a lot of the things, interestingly, that were blamed on him by Jordan and Pippen were really probably better directed toward management. For instance, it was Jerry Reinsdorf and the Bulls management that didn't want to pay Scottie Pippen and Krause was just kind of the fall guy. So Pippen was extremely underpaid, partly because his agent, I think, did a really poor job at negotiations. And then he was upset that he was underpaid. And they took off this anger against Jerry Krause. But also, Eric, you mentioned Tony Kukoc, who in the Olympics, which the Dream Team played in 1992, Jordan Pippen tried to kill this man on the court. And they didn't treat him very well when he joined the Bulls either. Because Tony Kukoc, who was a really good player was the apple in the eye of Jerry Krause. So Jordan Pippen tried to get at Jerry Krause by getting at Tony Kukoc, their own teammate. Isn't it fascinating, though, how their ire <laughs> was aimed at Tony Kukoc? And Tony Kukoc is just like an innocent bystander. <laughs> He's just some European guy who likes to drink his espresso, smoke cigs, take dumps, as he told Steve Kerr, and shoot threes. <laughs> He ain't bothering nobody. He not competing with y'all for real. He just <laughs> out here trying to get a contract. And you all are like athletically emasculating him on a world stage because Jerry Krause wanted him on the team. You know, it's funny. Recently, when he was inducted in the Hall of Fame, Tony Kukoc actually thanked Jordan and Pippen for kicking his ass and teaching him how to play at a high level by just being on his ass constantly starting at the Olympics, but also throughout their time on the Bulls together. I do want to say, though, that while Kraus was not the most likable guy in his time, I think this whole beef really shows the 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 bad side of, of Pippen and Jordan because they would constantly make backhanded comments about his height, about his weight, about how he looked. I mean, they, they treated this man like utter shit. And this is the guy who built championship teams for them. And if you think about what his name became after the last dance, look no further than the whole Aaron Rodgers situation with my Packers, right? Because he literally said that 
the Packers GM is Jerry Krause. You know, people may have forgotten Jerry Krause until the last dance, but now Jerry Krause's name is associated with GMs who are unlikable, who are bad, who are perceived as being kind of sneaky and snively and and weasel. So was Jerry Krause maybe not the most personable guy? Sure. But did he deserve the kind of shit that Jordan and Pippen put him through? Absolutely not. Does he deserve to have his name be synonymous with like a weaselly GM? I don't think so. That is for someone else. Just to add on to your point, Oswee, let's just like pay attention to what we're saying and look at the dynamic that has people kiss Michael Jordan's ass. Mm. You hear the guy, Tony Kukoc, who was abused by him, come and say as a coping mechanism, oh, I'm glad he did that to me. I'm (laughs) glad he abused me. And you have Scotty (laughs) Pippen, you have Scotty Pippen who was attacking Jerry Krause and, like, taking his anger out on his contract situation on Jerry Krause, even though, like AC said, it was Jerry Reinsdorf and, and big upper, like, echelon management saying, oh, no, nah, we're not paying him. You have Michael Jordan literally, and I mean literally, when Scottie Pippen was talking about holding out, go to the media and say that Scottie Pippen needed to suck it up and play. But no one ever addresses Mike directly and takes their anger out of Mike when Mike does fucked up shit. Oh yeah, for sure. He he he's like untouchable. He's the guy that when they're all at the casino, he'll say a, a, a shitty joke, but everyone in the room will laugh because that's Michael Jordan. If if he makes a joke, you laugh. Just shows the the kind of like respect that he commands, even if he's a complete asshole. He's like walking Montezuma or someone. He's like the sun god. <laughs> He's a god in human form. He's untouchable. I mean, it's true. I mean, the the last dance showed how much of a dick he could be, and people just loved him even more for it. It's it's incredible. So, Eric, you mentioned Yugoslavia, and, and that reminded me of one of, in my opinion, the saddest NBA beefs that happened because it wasn't for women. It wasn't for playing time. It wasn't for anything like that. It was actually due to international relations. And that's the story of Vlade Divac and Drazen Petrovic, who came into this league together from Yugoslavia, which was a basketball powerhouse. And both guys came into the league with a lot of success, and but it was a foreign experience. And so they were extremely close. These guys had played together since they were kids. They would talk every day after work. Not to make a, a trite Fire Nation comparison, but literally it all changed when Serbia attacked Croatia. Because at that point, the Yugoslavia as we knew it fell apart. And with it fell apart the relationship between Drazen and Vlade. And Drazen, who was from Croatia, looked at Vlade Divac, who was Serbian, as an enemy. And you you could hardly blame him for thinking that because back home, his family members were getting killed in in absolutely horrific conditions. And so it, it led to the complete disillusion of their friendship, despite the best efforts of Vlade. And ultimately, not too long after that, Drazen Petrovic tragically passed away from a car accident. So they never even got the chance to sort of come together again. And as we mentioned, great documentaries about sports. And I do think The Bad Boys is the best one. But another really good one is Once Brothers, which is about this story. And so it's really tragic how that ended up playing out. That story is fascinating because it's in the backdrop of the Cold War, of course. And it's also in the backdrop of the dissolution of the Eastern Bloc and the Soviet Union fragmenting to a bunch of different nation states. And these people, there's two persons rather, Vlade and Drazen, who, as you said, AC, 
close friends growing up, <laughs> they played youth league together. They played on national teams together. That this conflict going on between different nationalities that because they were born in the Soviet Union, they were under one umbrella nation. But then as they're breaking up, the schism happens in their relationship as well as some type of almost microcosm for what was going on in a geopolitical stage. It's fascinating and it's just, it's sad because as you said, Drazen died in Germany in 93 and they never actually got to have a detente like Magic and Isaiah to like actually work out and talk about their differences. And their differences weren't organic differences that transpired between friends over time. It was bigger than them. So yes, yeah, it's, it's really a, a, a sad, sad story. And for those of you who might not know about Drazen Petrovic, he played for the Nets and he was an incredible shooter. He was way beyond his time as a jump shooter. And and I actually think he projected, if you if you take his statistics and extrapolate them over his career, he could have been, you know, a potential Hall of Famer. That's how good he was at that age. There's no one playing like him. So he was playing a modern style back in the 90s. So it's, it's kind of a tragedy what, what happened to him. And especially that he kind of went away alone without his friends because of a geopolitical struggle. Guys, guys. He could have been a better Reggie Miller if he had survived. <laughs> the blasphemy. <laughs> so we just talked about Divock and Drazen and the famous documentary about them, Once Brothers. Well, I thought we could end this episode with something a little bit lighter, and I will refer to it as Once Rivals. And that is Joel Embiid and Andre Drummond. <laughs> is it a rivalry if it's that one-sided? <laughs> yeah. It is arguably one of the most one-sided beefs. I would argue even more one-sided than Paul Pierce and LeBron James. Because yes, while LeBron is a top three all-time player, Paul Pierce is still a champion who is in the Hall of Fame. One of the best players ever, though where he, he stacks up is debatable, right? In this case, you have a guy in Andre Drummond, you know, Eric's boy Andre Drummond, who has basically been one of the most useless players in... I don't like this attachment Eric has to Andre Drummond. I feel like I'm getting slandered for one time saying he might be useful, and I'm getting punished for it. And I don't like it, Oswee. No, Eric, how did that play out? <laughs> His usefulness to the Lakers. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, first round exit. It happens. Well, Eric, in this line of work that we do here, one bad take can haunt you for a long time. So, hey, man, Andre Drummond's your boy. But let, 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 me, let me just talk about this beef because it's honestly remarkable, right? So the Sixers and the Pistons are scheduled to meet on the 2nd of December of 2017. And on October 24th, Embiid said, Drummond doesn't play any defense, to which Drummond responds, see you on December 2nd. On the day of the game, Drummond in an interview says, you can't really have a conversation with a man who can't play back-to-back. -back. I've been playing for six years and I've missed four to five games. So when he can play a whole season without taking a rest, he can come talk to me. What happens that night? The Sixers defeat the Pistons 108-103 to on a 25-10 and game by Embiid versus Drummond putting 14 points and 11 rebounds and fouled out in the contest, which Embiid being Embiid, he waved him off. 
But then after that, Embiid posts on Instagram with the location December 2nd cafeteria, meaning he just ate while Drummond watched. Then it gets even crazier because the next time they played, the Sixers lose to overtime, but Embiid had 33, 11, and 7. And that was a game that Blake Griffin dropped 50. That being said, Embiid said, I may have lost in this game, but it's clear I still own a lot of real estate in Drummond's head because in this crucial game, Embiid flopped and taunted Drummond into a technical foul, which got Drummond ejected. (laughs) And Drummond posts a picture of Embiid and says, that man is fat out of shape and talks all day. I'm not worried about him. If I can't guard him, why he's so happy to have me out the game? Was locking his ass up and running him to exhaustion. Again, Embiid had 33, 11, 7, and 3 blocks in a game in overtime. Then, the next time they meet, Embiid drops 39 and 17 on him, while Drummond had 8 points and 9 rebounds. And Embiid tweets out, I own a lot of real estate in Drummond's head, and I'm on my way to build more. And he actually tweets a picture of him from NBA Africa game 2018, where he has a wheelbarrow full of bricks about to build a house there. Embiid's troll game is on another level. Yeah, but it gets even better. He uploads a video of Drummond to his Instagram story, which is 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 honestly ridiculous. It is like prime trolling because like it's almost as ridiculous as like the Paul George catfish videos and pictures. Drummond just like looks so goofy doing this dance with the big caption mood on it. And, and it's just like over the years, these guys have just been going at it only for them now to be on the same team. And one way to really look at this is Drummond is now Embiid's backup. So that really tells you who won this beef. I mean, that's the funniest part of the whole story. So this guy not only gets schooled by Embiid over and over again, both on the social media and on the court. And now, after all that, he signs for a veteran minimum contract to be Joel Embiid's backup. I mean, if you talk about winning a, winning a beef, I think it's hard to find a better example than that. Mm, yeah, that... <laughs> I mean, the fact that he backs him up now is the coup de gras. Though, I do want to defend Drummond somewhat. Your boy? <sighs> yes, unwittingly <laughs> my boy. So, some of the things Drummond said about Embiid, they were actually true. Embiid was out of shape at the time that he said it. Embiid doesn't usually play whole seasons either. He usually misses quite a few games. And previously, it was because of conditioning. So, I'm just saying, a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah, but even then, look, I have long been one of the most critical people of Joel Embiid, as fans of this show and you guys absolutely know. But there was never a point, even when he was playing every other game or one game per every three or four games, right? There was never a question about Embiid's talent. The question was about whether or not he took his job seriously enough to actually play to his potential. Now he's gotten in shape. Since then, he's been on how many all-star teams? He's been on how many all-NBA teams? Right? Like, Embiid, if he is healthy, and I understand that is a big if, he could be the best player on a championship team. Meanwhile, Andre Drummond is fighting to stay in the league because a guy with his ultra-limited skill set 
really doesn't have any business being there. Like, low post play, unless you're a Joel Embiid type, is more or less dead. That being said, Joel Embiid having Drummond on this team kind of hurts because if you look at the lowest free throw percentage by active players, you have Andre Drummond at 47% and Ben Simmons at 59.7%. Now, we don't know what's happening with Ben, but as of right now, we have arguably the worst free throw shooting roster ever. But hey, I I guess Embiid can build more real estate with all those bricks. (laughs) I mean, I I try, Dre. I I quit. I mean, (laughs) he's definitely better than him. One game from Embiid is like four or five games for Andre at this point. So there's really no competition between the two. A mediocre Embiid game is like a career game for Andre Drummond. Man, we're just like rubbing it in. Yeah. Look, man, I'm I'm sorry to uh, offend your, your guy so publicly in front of you. Like, I know it makes you feel some type of way when I talk about your boy like that. I'm sorry. I must be the only Andre Drummond stan in existence. His mother isn't even a stan of his. So now you admit to being a stan. Yeah, now you admit it. Well, I mean, you all have given me the title and I can't escape it. So I might as well just like live with it and be proud. What what happens if like one day our podcast gets to a point where we're able to get some NBA players on here and Andre Drummond agrees to come on and are you going to just be like fawning over like, yeah, man, I've, I've been such a stan of yours for so long. It's such an honor to meet you. Like, I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> it's going to be masturbatory by me. I'm just going to be, oh, Andre, ah, <laughs> I, I, I wish you could see the hand motions I was doing. But it's not it's not safe for TV. <laughs> I don't know if you know the audio is safe for podcasting. <laughs> Good point. Whatever that noise you just made was. <laughs> this is one time I'm glad that we're currently an audio only podcast because I don't think anybody wants to see that, Eric. So on that very odd note, I think we'll wrap up our part two of this infamous NBA beefs series that we're doing. But guys, there's still so much more we can still talk about. We haven't even addressed Kevin Garnett and Carmelo Anthony about Honey Nut Cheerios. We haven't talked about <laughs> Kevin Durant and Draymond Green or Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Or how about Shaq and Dwight about the whole Superman thing? I mean, we just got so much more to talk about. So we have to have a part three. But until then, thanks everyone for tuning in to Brown Men Won't Jump. Trust the process.